welcome to the Real Happy Mom Podcast. I'm your host, Tony Ann, the blogger and content creator at Real Happy Mom, where moms can find encouragement and practical tips for this journey called motherhood. I also have this podcast to introduce you to other moms from various walks of life. And today on episode number 54, I'm talking to Jenny Taylor. She's going to share with us how to enjoy our child by doing less. Now let's jump in to episode number 54 of the Real Happy Mom Podcast. All right, Jenny, welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to have you. Thank you, Tony. And it's an honor to be here to have what I really feel is going to be a life-changing conversation. Oh, yes. Jenny is going to be sharing with us some ways on how to enjoy our child more by doing less. But before we jump into that, I just wanted you to talk to us a little bit about you and what you do. Yes, thank you. Um, As you said, my name is Jenny. I am a journalist and I write over on Instagram at Gentle Respectful Parenting. And really, the bulk of what I do is kind of confront mainstream parenting, look at the history deeply of it to understand why on earth do we control children so much and how did we get here? You know, what was the advice that led us to this place where um, we feel the need to constantly Um, control our children with punishment and praise and to say no to everything. And really there's this belief that a child really needs to be molded. And so we have this kind of stress and responsibility on our shoulders of like, wow, now I have this little human. Now I have to mold them and tell them no and tell them what's right and tell them what's wrong. And so I just wanted, when I had my own child to really look at that and, and is this, you know, is this accurate? Is this how humans really thrive? So um, I, so I do a lot of history lessons and, and research on um, parenting practices and giving alternatives that offer more peace to both the child and the parent. Awesome. And Jenny, you kind of started talking about it a little bit about parenting. And I wanted to get started with first talking about how there's so much technology in Pinterest with these perfect activities for moms. And a lot of times we find it challenging to parent and have all these wonderful activities. So I just wanted you to share with us how we can do less with the ride parenting method that you had taught me about. Yes. So the first thing I want to mention is that it's always great to look at the history of anything and see, wow, modern humans have evolved over the last 200,000 years without any toys, without any stores to go buy toys, without any Pinterest, without any activities, and and have thrived to the point where, you know, when we have seen research done where people have been able to um, have the honor of, of sitting in with indigenous communities that children play peacefully together. And they, um, they are not, there's no use of praise or punishment, and they're happily freely playing with, you know, rocks and stones and the adults' materials as well. So really, that's, that's the first thing that we can look at is that we've never needed this until industry came along. And, you know, when there's industry, it only works if we can sell something. And as you know, from being in, in business, you can only sell something if you have a problem to solve. So first you have to create the problem. So it's, a, it's really, if you look at, there's a trend with industrial re- revolution and the amount of toys that became available, and then also the amount of happiness that decreased pretty rapidly. Mm-hmm. It's okay. also when most of the parenting books were written that started saying children need to self-soothe and sleep by themselves. They need to be ignored. You know, you don't want to spoil your child. And so in place of that, we actually stopped 
honoring the most important thing that a child need, needs, which is a secure attachment to their parent or to their primary caregiver. And we started to give them toys and materials in place of that, which is the lousiest replacement um, because you know, it's, uh, it's having them look at a material and trying to get them connected to a material object. And as we know, you know, kids will pay attention to a new flashy toy for a couple days, maybe mm-hmm. a couple weeks, and then they're over it. It's done, it's, it's done everything that it can do for them. Mm-hmm. And so I just want parents to know, you know, I've never set up an activity for my daughter. And I'm so grateful that I found RIE Parenting. RIE stands for Respect fit, respectful infant educators, and it was created by Magna Gerber in the 1980s. But it was inspired by a Hungarian pediatrician, Emmy Pickler, in the 1920s, who observed that children really, really thrive when they just play freely and unstructured in their environment. That they'll learn to read just by you sitting down and reading books with them casually, not testing them on the book. They'll learn their alphabet just by you singing songs with them as they get older, not you kind of grilling them with posters on the wall. Um, So if we look inside of our houses, we have measuring cups. Those are stacking toys, right? And most of the things we see on Pinterest are like, um, you know, putting balls in the holes, stacking, color sorting, all of these things. But our natural environment gives us those opportunities for free every day without ever needing to buy a toy and without ever needing to set up an activity. So that should be a huge relief. It was to me. I hope it's a relief to everyone listening that we just, we don't need to set up activities. We just need to allow our children to explore the world freely. That is awesome. And when I first talked to you about it, I realized that my kids were doing it and I was, I was the one stopping them. (laughs) So you were telling me, you know, to just let them kind of use what's in the house. And so the three-year-old, he loves to go in the kitchen because he likes to mimic mommy. And so he would go and take stuff out of the kitchen. I'd be like, no, 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 you can't play with that. You have to put that back, go play with your toys. And so after talking to you, I don't think I shared this with you, but I stopped saying that and I just let him play with whatever he wants, which his daddy doesn't agree with, but (laughs) we're working on that. And I noticed that he keeps himself a lot busier than when I'm trying to give him the toys. Isn't that amazing? Yes. (laughs) And, And for you, do you feel like that for you, that feels kind of like a do less approach. Do you feel more relaxed? Absolutely. Yes. Yes. I felt so much more at ease and not so uptight because I was like, you know, don't touch this. Don't touch that. I just like let him be free and just touch whatever he wanted. Um, Even though I had a thing and be like, oh, now I have to wash those all over again because he put um, some things together. But for the most part, it was very calm, very relaxing for me. And I did not have to do very much. Yeah, I love that. Um, that's what I find with a lot of the parents that I talk to and what I find with myself as well, because you can kind of just sit back and then just watch their magic and think about the information that each material is teaching them, the texture of a colander, the sounds of a measuring cup. They're learning the work. They're learning. It's, um, it's also an opportunity for language skills as well, because they know, oh, this is a measuring cup or this is a pot and they get to really feel it and it comes to life for them. So it's just, it's beautiful. 
Yes, yes. And one of the things that I realized is that my kids are a lot capable of doing things than I thought they were. And this was another thing that um, I learned from you too, is that kids are very capable of doing things. And you had shared with me this very interesting um, continuum concept and how kids actually have more fun and have less tantrums, even though they don't have the toys. So I wanted you to talk to us a little bit more about that because I know I was a little nervous at first when my son was picking up the scissors and the knives and things like that, but you shared with me that, you know, they can actually handle it. They can. So it's actually part of, again, if we go back to just the history of how we've evolved, um, our body really knows what's safe and what isn't naturally and innately. Now those those instincts, they can be dulled. So if we've told a child repeatedly over time that something is not safe and we haven't given them the opportunity to explore it, then you know they kind of start to not even trust their own intuition. But in the, in the book that you mentioned, The Continuum Concept, which is just, it's so fascinating. I love it, I recommend it to everyone. And the author was able to live with the Yakana tribe for two years and she made observations and then wrote this book about it. And like you said, just to recap quickly, she noticed, you know, where are the tantrums? Where are the t- terrible twos? Where are the, where's the sibling rivalry? Where are all of these things that we struggle so much with in our modern society? She's like, over two years, they just didn't exist. So she started compiling, what are the things that, we're doing that they're not doing. And she, she tried to come together. One of them was, is that from the time they can crawl, the first thing is they're in their mother's arms. The mothers carry them in a baby carrier for the first six months of life until they can crawl. So that entire time they're up at adult eye level. They're understanding how conversations work that you listen and then you talk. There are pauses. So just that enrichment there, they're being brought along while the mothers simultaneously continue to go about their daily work. So they're learning how the world works. They're seeing how fires are lit. They're watching how their mothers chop food. Um, They're seeing how the work of the community comes together. Then after the child can crawl, they're put down on the floor and they start to, again, go along with their mother about um, her day as she works, but they're crawling around her feet and they start to play with everything. So they'll be, um, she was noting that there would be big 15 inch machetes that the young babies would just pick up and touch the blades and touch the the handles, but they would never chop their hands off. They would never cut themselves. They were just, they, they knew that this was something delicate. The same thing with fires. They'd be crawling right around the edge of a fire, which our instincts usually as, as modern parents is like, don't touch the fire. Yes. It's hot, 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 hot. You know how we say yes. it. I mean, I, even with my daughter with the oven, like I emphasize how hot this is. Hot. Very hot. Um, but yet the children just instinctively knew because they could feel the heat on their own body as they were getting closer. So what she recommended to parents was just to say to sit back and observe your child, kind of like the experience you have observe them and watch how capable they are. And by doing that, your trust will build in them. Their trust will build in themselves because they are just so, so highly capable if we allow them to be. So yes, you can stay close, but just like you did, I think that's a beautiful example with your son where you're just, you're just observing and he's showing you that he's capable. So that's really what we need to do is just sit back and, and quietly and lovingly observe. Yeah, definitely. I learned a lot watching my three-year-old. It was pretty amazing. And the other thing that you shared with me too was about um, 
was it the child cutting with a knife at a really young age? And when you told me, I was like, what? Like, I wouldn't imagine a young kid, you know, using a chef's knife, you know, in the kitchen and not hurting themselves. Yes. I actually started my, my daughter with a knife at 15 months old. It was a, a crinkle knife, you call them. So, you know, okay. kind of had the crinkle but, um, bottom that you would cut crinkle French fries with. Mm -hmm. So it is stainless steel and it is a real knife, but it has a handle on the top. So for their little hands when they're very young, you know, they, they can't make the chopping motion with one hand yet until they're around 24 months old. Sometimes I think my daughter started around 20 months. Okay. So at 15, starting about 15 months is really when a child will actually be able to start chopping carrots and bananas and broccoli. And so if you guys go to my Instagram, you'll see some videos. You have to scroll down, but you'll see videos of my daughter when she was about 15 months, just so you can see. Um, and I would have never known this. So I'm just so mm -hmm. grateful that I found that there are leaders like um, Dr. Maria Montessori and Emma Pickler and, um, you know, books like The Continuum Concept, because if I wouldn't have read those, I would have never put a knife in my daughter's hands. I would have never, she would have been just swimming in toys, being told no all of the time. So that's mm -hmm. why I've made it my mission to share this with other people because I wouldn't have known. And because the information did come to me now, you know, my daughter, she is, well, she's 28 months now and she's using, you know, adult serrated knives and she doesn't okay. cut herself. She, um, she has felt a knife nick the top of her finger very, very lightly before, and she just curled her finger in. So there's a lot of self-teaching that happens there. And I do stay close. With the crinkle knife, I actually, she could use that completely independently. Also for moms too, a nylon knife is a really good one to give your toddler. Okay, okay. Um, so if you want, like your three-year-old, if you wanted to just kind of ease in, into it, I would recommend... Um, if you go on Amazon and you type in um, children's nylon knife set, it's about $8.99. It's amazing. They can cut through cucumbers and zucchini and watermelon, and you don't need to be um, – you can be hands-off. That's a knife that they can really freely explore without you needing to even watch them. Okay. So that's a good place to start. Yeah. No, that is really, really good. And you made me think about something when you're talking about, you know, the self-teaching, because I always joke and say that, you know, with the second child, you're, you're not as, you know, overbearing and overprotective. And I felt that way with my son because yeah, he would do things and I'd just be like, oh, he'll figure it out. <laughs> my mom would be like, don't you want to get him? Mm -mm, no, he'll, he'll, he'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah, And he did probably. Oh right? yes, he did. He yeah. learns very fast. And I feel like he is a lot faster than his brother. Who's trying to sneak into this conversation over here today. Yeah. I think that's wonderful. And and what you probably learned from that, what I've learned, and hopefully this is something else to um, share to the listeners, is we really need to give quite a bit of time for them to figure something out. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're adults and there might be a new task in front of us that we can figure out fairly quickly, but children really need, you know, sometimes they need you to just let them be for five to 10 minutes. And I did this when my daughter started uh, trying to self-dress around 18 months old. And, you know, it's... Okay. It, We'd, we'd want to go out of the house to the park. And what I would re remind myself is we're going to the park for her. So if she wants to take 40 minutes to put her clothes on, and if that's something that feels like productive and inspiring to her, then I really need to honor that this is her time for her enrichment no matter what. 
And so I would just kind of train myself to really give her as much time as she needed to be able to explore getting that leg into the pant hole or putting the shirt over her head. And sometimes that can be a little bit difficult as parents, but this goes back to the doing less approach. So if we can kind of train ourselves, you know, just relax a little, sit back. Maybe you have a book. Maybe you want to write in a journal while they're trying to get their shirt on and just give them that time and space because their neurons are making so many connections when things like that are happening, when they're trying to get a shirt on, but they put their arm in the head hole and they're like, nope, that doesn't work. I got to figure something else out. So really sometimes they do need quite a bit of time and space. Yeah. And you brought up a good thing about the doing less. And this was another thing that you taught me that I'm slowly trying to untrain myself on. And that is the difference between a child-friendly home versus a child-proof home. And this was um, something that was kind of a light bulb moment that went off for me when I was telling you about how I let the three-year-old kind of do more in the kitchen and take some of the, the tools and things that we use in there is I noticed we still have those little those little protectors inside of the outlets and my son wants to put things in there. And I was thinking of you, I was like, oh, Jenny did tell me about this child-proofing thing. So <laughs> I wanted you to talk to us a little bit about child-friendly homes versus child-proofing the home. Right. Okay. So I'll, I, and I want to talk in depth about that, but I'll, I'll tell you how I would handle that specific situation. Yes, please. <laughs> now, even when you child, um, you have a home that's child friendly, the outlets, for example, it's something that we do need to keep and, you know, tell their certain age, the, the protectors inside, I still have them. Mm-hmm. So with that, that's the moment where the, that's like kind of a boundary moment where you can say, you know, explain what it is. That's for electricity. If we put something in there, you know, there could be a shock um, it could be dangerous. So you know, this area will we'll keep the, the protectors on or we won't put anything else inside of them. So you can give a reminder if there are some things that you don't want them to play with, like the outlets, for example, mm-hmm. you just kind of keep giving them that reminder. So my daughter, she will take the plastic protectors out, but she knows not to put them back in. So she'll like to take them out and she kind of puts them in a pile. And for me, that's not crossing a boundary for me. I'm comfortable with that. So she likes the hard work of taking them out and that's okay. Um, But what we have told her is that if she ever wants them to be put back in or she wants something plugged in, she can ask us and we'll help her. Got it. Got it. So in that case, you can just decide, you know, what your boundary is with the electricity, for example, um, for their safety. Now, there are something when you're doing um, a child's room and you want them in Montessori, they do floor beds and no cribs. So a child is always free to move. In that case, if a child's going to be alone in their bedroom, um, they do have, instead of the plastic protectors that go in, they have a whole box you can kind of screw on. Okay. And that would be, you know, something that could give you peace of mind as far as there's no way anything's going to go inside of the plug. Got but it. then going, going back to the difference of the difference between a child-proof home and a child-friendly home is the first thing we want to do is understand that it's going to be better not only for the child, but for us that if when we can walk into our home, we know that it's, an, it's a yes space. The entire home is a yes space for them. They can run off. They can go into the bathroom by themselves. They can go into the den or the living room, whatever it is. And you don't have to start feeling like, oh, 
I already need to be running after them and telling them, no, don't touch this or, oh, there's something unsafe there because then it's really hard for you as a parent to find your peace when you come home. And so we all deserve that. We all deserve to walk in the house and be like, oh, we're home. And we all kind of just gravitate to those spaces that make us feel good. So for example, when I walk into my home, there's usually some decompressing I like to do. I go, you know, hang my bag up and kind of unpack our bag from the day and as I'm doing those tasks of kind of unpacking ourselves, I know that she can just go run and play throughout the whole house and I don't have to worry about it. I can kind of be hands off and do my thing for, you know, the next 30 minutes. So it's a huge relief to both. So how do we do that? The first thing is, this is great advice. There's a great website called the Montessori Notebook from a Montessori teacher that has really, I took her online classes and they really helped me set up Montessori spaces in my home. The first thing that she recommended to do, which was great, is to get down at your child's eye level and experience the home from their eyes. Now, as a baby, if we do this, when I did this, we get down there and we see, wow, there's no art at their eye level. There are just chair legs at their eye level and dust and everything enriching is up in our world. That's not very fair to a child. Like, you know, so then we start to change that. So you will, um, for example, instead of having a high chair where they're strapped in in both Rye and Montessori, you try to avoid ever strapping a child into anything unless it's a car seat and there's no other option, of course. Mm -hmm. um, so you would use something called a weaning table, even you know as soon as they're sitting up. And it's so that they can get in and out of the chair when they want. They can decide when they're done with their food and they can get out. This is just kind of basic human respect never to like strap someone into something and, and make them not feel like they can't get out. So you put art down at their eye level. You give them child-sized furniture and you have to make amendments. You need to cut the legs off of chairs that are still too high because a lot of the times we'll buy a child-sized table. I have the Ikea lap table, which is only $29. It's a really great investment. I've had this since my daughter was 12 months old, but I needed to cut a lot off of the legs of the table and the chairs for her to be able to access it independently. So we also need to be looking at anything child size we're buying, what amendments do we need to make so they can access it. So like I said, a child size table and chairs, you're going to have to saw off the legs so that they can safely sit in it. Um, instead of using baby gates to put a child inside of, if you have, um, you know, a front door, you can put a baby gate, just a door one, like on covering the front door. So at least you have okay. that peace of mind. They can't get out of the front door rather than keeping them inside of a whole playpen. So you just, um, one thing I never did, I never, um, and this was the recommendation of, of again, um, Montessori was never locking the kitchen cabinet. So instead there really shouldn't be anything in the house that would, um, kill a child if they were to ingest it. That's just dangerous in general. So we mm -hmm. did, we just did a non-toxic haul. I got anything out that could be, you know, danger, a danger to her. And even our non-toxic products, I put in a high shelf in the laundry room. So those aren't accessible either. But I just made some amendments. So instead of making underneath the kitchen sink the place for products, you know, I have a small squirt bottle filled with water for her in it and a little rag so she can open underneath the cabinet and she can spray the floor and clean the floor or clean her table. So we just want to ask ourselves as we go around our house, get down on their eye level, see what they see, 
Um, put some nice art up there that's enriching for them. Keep the space minimal and make sure they can access it independently. Nice, nice. And you brought up a couple of things for me. Um, the first one is bringing things at eye level because honestly, I haven't thought about it. And just as you were talking, I was like, oh yeah, it's like white and chair legs, like it's nothing <laughs> around there for them. So that's a really big one. The other one was just making things accessible for them so they can get in and out. So I do have one table, which is behind me here, that they can um, do themselves. But a lot of the other things, not so much. And I am more of the the calm, cool mom. And I kind of let them do things. But my husband is the one I, I know I'm talking about him a lot, but he's the one that is a lot more protective and doesn't want them to do a lot of things because he's afraid they're going to hurt themselves. So that's where I think we could definitely implement some of the things that you're saying so that, you know, he could be at ease and then the kids can um, get up and go as they please as well. Yeah, that's wonderful. And I would say too, this is helpful research because, you know, the, the idea of not hurting yourself, it comes from a really loving place in parents. A lot of the time it's how we were parented as well. And so we bring a lot of patterns down, but there is a lot of research that supports this. And you can look from Emmy Pickler um, in the 1920s, if you look her up, that the more, it, actually, if you just type in rye parenting slash risky play, you'll start mm. to see a lot of the studies on that. There are so many studies on what is called in the child development world, world risky play and the importance of it. Actually, the earlier we allow risky play, so this is playing with knives, climbing up on high structures, falling over, the more capable their body is going to be. So the more that we shield them from risky play and trying things, actually the opposite happens. They'll have more fear in their life as an adult. They'll have more anxiety in their life as an adolescent and they'll be less capable. So once we see that and we realize that actually trying to prevent them from getting hurt as children stunts their growth as adults, then we can look at it completely different. Then it becomes an act of love to actually allow them to explore. So that's really helpful research that anyone can look up who feels like they're suffering with some, um, you know, fear of not wanting their child to get hurt, which oh, is yeah. understandable. Definitely. And I will make sure to include all of these things that you're mentioning in the show notes. Um, but one other thing I wanted to touch on before we signed off was just in particular about how much we're using our devices, in particular, our laptops and phones. And me as a blogger, I use my laptop quite a bit. And sometimes I feel a little bit guilty about being on my laptop so much. And I have to put a lot of um, boundaries on my time as far as when I'm using it. But the thing that I'm finding is that the kids are starting to model the behavior too. So then they'll get their tablets and other devices too as well. But I wanted you to talk to us a little bit because I think this is happening in more families, not just in mine, because I think I shared with you that my husband is a web designer. So of course he's on the computer like all day. Um, and then you have me who comes home and I'm on the computer um, for quite a bit of time. So just talk to the moms that are using their computers a lot, either for business, for their side hustles, or even just for pleasure, how we can have a little bit more balance with that in model appropriate use of time on these devices with our kids. Yes, I'd love to talk about that. And I think one thing that you already really answered it is we're modeling. And, and as you know, children learn only actually by watching what other people are doing. It's really just their primary way of learning is just 
watching what other people do and mimicking it. So the first thing to ask ourselves is what do we want? How do we want our children to use technology? What makes, what would make you comfortable? What are your boundaries with your, with your child? How frequently do you want them on a device? What do you want them doing on a device? And then you can kind of make your own boundaries based on that. Because if, if it makes you as a parent feel uncomfortable to think of your child, you know, on a computer for a long length of time, then you might want to try to design, if you can, your time on your computer to be designated to when they're at school or when they're sleeping or at nighttime. And something that I do that's been really helpful that I'll share, and this is kind of how I, when I'm asking myself this, how I'm structuring boundaries in my life with it, because I also use the, um, the computers, I do this. If I need to use my computer or my phone in front of my daughter, I will always say what I'm using it for. Because the thing is, Technology isn't going anywhere. It's a tool. And we want our children to understand the good things that that tool can be used for. So then when they're in their imaginative play and they're in their creative play, they can start to understand how that tool can help them, whether it's now in their life or later. So for example, if I'm cooking and I tell my daughter and I need to look at my phone, I don't want her to just see me passively looking at my phone all the time. Mm -hmm. So I'll say, I'm going to um, look up a recipe on my phone. And then I'll look up the recipe and then I'll kind of read it all out loud. I'll say, okay, we're going to need these three ingredients. Okay, I got it. And then I'll close my phone. Or if we're going to a location, I'll say, I'm going to use my phone to look up directions to this place. And so I notice she has an old iPhone of ours that doesn't work that she uses as her play phone. And when she plays with it, she'll look, she'll tell me, she'll pull it out of her purse and she'll say, she'll say I'm going to look up a recipe. Or she'll say, I'm going to get directions to the park. Okay. And so that shows me that, yes, the mod, you know, she is, they're just watching us. And when she says those things, I go, okay, well, at least she understands what this tool can be used for when she wants to use it. And the same thing I do for my computer. So when I'm writing a blog post, what I'll do is I, I, um, in my free time with her, I'll write it by hand in my journal. So I'll get my notes out, the structure of the blog, you know, I'll just kind of free write it. And then if I'm on a deadline that has to be done, I really need to open my computer while I'm in my time with her, then I'll let her know I'm going into designated work time. I'll say, I just wrote this blog here and, you know, this is my work that I do. I get to, you know, educate about, you know, respecting babies and children. And so now, so people can read it, I'm going to type it into the computer. So I'll be right here doing that while you're playing and then I'll be finished soon. And so then she understands as I'm sitting there staring at my screen, what I'm doing, what I'm getting out of it. And then I close my computer and then we go back to connected play. So that's for me personally, how I've, you know, how I'm approaching technology. Um, it's working for us as of right now. And I feel like um, it's, it's, as of right now, it's healthy and it's been helpful. So you guys can all check in with that, but really just ask yourself, what would you want to see your children doing? And then try to model that for them. That's really good. You gave me some really good pointers. So I'm definitely going to try that out and I'll let you know how that goes. Awesome. <laughs> yes. But Jenny, you have shared some really great things with us today. And I am excited to actually start testing some of these things out with the kiddos. But before we signed off, I just wanted you to give us any encouragement or if you have a quote for us moms that can keep us encouraged um, during the week and through motherhood. Yes. Well, I would say there are so many quotes. I think most of my favorite quotes come from one author, Alfie Cohn. So I'll just recommend his book. I think unconditional, 
Unconditional Parenting by author Alfie Cohn is such a great book. It actually talks about um, the use of praise and punishment and how um, we think those are opposite sides of the coin, but actually they're the same. So we end up really distracting our children um, quite frequently without even noticing it. And I feel like that book is just loaded with so many quotes that I love. So it's, it's a great book that I would recommend to read, Unconditional Parenting. And then just trust your child. This is something I, I tell myself all the time. It's just, just trust that she's got it. You know, she knows her body. We're there to keep them safe. We're their guides. Of course, we're not going to say like walk across the busy street. There, <laughs> yeah. are, there are limits and boundaries, but within their capabilities, you know, let them explore themselves and you'll be amazed. Absolutely. Now, Jenny, is there anything else that we didn't cover or maybe I distracted you and you didn't get to finish talking about it? Um, I just wanted to make sure that you got to share everything that you had for us. I think this is, I think that we had a really great conversation. I feel like hopefully this is a lot for people to just get started with. Mm -hmm. And if they want to learn more, I would love to, you know, I, all of my posts on Instagram, I, I make sure they're all teaching some kind of concept insight. So if anyone would go over to gentle, respectful parenting on Instagram and find me and learn more about any of these topics, then that would be great to continue the conversation over there as well. Perfect. Perfect. So I will definitely include that in the show notes. And Jenny, thank you so much for coming on and sharing all of this great information with us. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Tony. And it was an absolute pleasure. Now that does it for this episode of the Real Happy Mom podcast. To find the links in the show notes, head over to realhappymom.com slash 54. Do me a favor, hit subscribe so you can be notified of the next new episode, which comes out next week on Tuesday. I'll be talking to Charlotte and she'll be sharing with us tips to start your side hustle alongside your nine to five. Now tune in next week and I will catch you in the next one.